We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna To McCoy, it's a move. McCoy, inside the 10, 5, and he is in touchdown. Two plays, six points for Buffalo. First and goal, play fake, Barkley, time, and he finds Deion Dawkins. The left tackle with the touchdown. McCoy, in home, second effort, and he's in. Touchdown, LaShawn McCoy, his second of the day. Everybody, do another edition of the Rock Bow Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Andrew Catalan from CBS. What a weekend for Buffalo sports, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! Are you not entertained? I wasn't impressed. Uh, we've got seven losses, so I wanted a loss on Sunday. Now it's about improving your draft position. Everyone knows that. You're a horse's ass with this, your insistence on losing. But guess what? I'm not going to let it bring me down. You can't. Not after the weekend that Buffalo sports fans had. I mean, first of all, huge congratulations right off the top to the UB men's basketball team. They got everything rolling on Friday night by pulling off a stunning upset of number 13th ranked West Virginia Mountaineers in their own house. Basketball already started? Basketball already started, and UB men's team is ranked in the nation's top 25, Chris. Ah, good for them. I won't watch any of your games. I apologize. <laughs> Become an actual sport. And then on Saturday, the Buffalo Sabres get in on, get, they got in on things, and that's something you watched, I I'm sh- sure. I shut that game off as soon as that third goal went in for Vancouver at the beginning of the third. I was like, I've seen this before. i got to hang a mirror. I'm going to Home Depot. Dramatic come-from-behind win against one of the be- one of the better teams in the Western Conference in the Vancouver Canucks for a dramatic shootout victory at home. And then last night, they pulled off a stunning upset of the, e- the Eastern Conference's top team in the Tampa Bay Lightning. Chris... We're in second place in the Eastern Conference right now. Uh, we are behind uh, Toronto by two points, 
and we're tied with Boston for third in the division. So what does that make us? Fourth? Yes, we're yeah, fourth. Yeah, we'll screw Boston because they don't count as a city because soon enough they're going to slide into the ocean just like Atlantis, and hopefully Tom Brady's still there when it happens. And then the Bills! The damn Bills! Ladies and gentlemen, if I had a dollar for every single time that the Buffalo Bills team, just as a team, does the polar opposite of what I'm expecting from them on Sunday, I would have enough money to buy myself a pretty nice, nice 12-pack of craft beer, Chris. I mean, do you agree that this team is just wildly unpredictable? Yeah, you you blow out Minnesota, you blow out the Jets, you barely get by Tennessee, <laughs> and then we just have a bunch of blowout losses. I don't get it. <laughs> we don't have to get it because it's Victory Wednesday, Chris, and Victory Wednesday tastes pretty damn good. And with that, we're going to jump into this week's Bills News Update. <laughs> The Buffalo Bills have churned their roster once again, making cuts to Nathan Peterman and Terrell Pryor. Heading into the Jets game, Chris, the Bills turned things over by releasing players and calling up some practice squad and some of the previously inactive guys, which we're going to go, we're obviously going to have to talk about here in a little bit. These rules, these recent moves came a few days after McDermott hit fans with one of his stock phrases, insisting after the Bears game that the team was going to review the tape. Because how many times did he say during the, the beginning of the season, when things were just falling apart, he used the phrase, well, we're going to have to go back and look at the tape. So much so that it's on a t-shirt now. <laughs> so Store716.com, go get one. So with that, you before the Jets game, it took fans by surprise when all of a sudden they started making roster moves. And they started promoting guys and demoting guys and shuffling the offensive line. I mean, it was it, it was something of note, finally. That, hey, maybe watching all this tape, maybe something's actually coming out of it. And that continued even after a victory this week. Now, breaking down both of these cuts, for Terrell Pryor, I think it's, Chris, I just think it's a situation where they simply weren't seeing the production they thought they were going to get or any of the production that they were looking for. You know, at least not what the, these young, faster players were giving them. Yeah, Robert Foster looked fantastic. I mean, I mean he's going to get more snaps than prior. Well, and I think that that's what it comes down to, is this is a youth movement right now. They're looking to get more snaps for the young guys. I mean, look at what Pryor put out. I know there's a lot of Bills fans who are upset and confused by this. Pryor was on the field for 106 offensive snaps over the course of the two games he spent on the roster. And in those, he managed to touch the ball just four times. He had eight targets in the passing game. He had one rush for negative one yards. Two of his catches went for 17 yards. And one was just a hot potato of the ball directly to a defensive back on the Chicago Bears defense. I mean, the, he, the guy didn't produce. Okay? And this is a production-based business. Given that, look on the flip side. You mentioned Robert Foster. The guy is fresh off a game where he was repeatedly flashing ability to get open downfield time and time again. And not only tr not only getting open, but catching the ball when it was thrown to him. I mean, think back to the preseason. How much he struggled tracking footballs in the air. I mean, he could get under them, but those preseason games where Josh Allen was trying to throw rainbows to him and he simply underran them, overran them, didn't know how to track it. 
He didn't make that mistake on Sunday. And by Sunday, we mean the first goddamn play of the game. <laughs> and then you've got Isaiah McKenzie, who, who flat out showed that he has the ability to be a Swiss Army knife for this offense. He was effective in the running game. He was effective in this, on special teams. He flashed as a wide receiver. They want to get these younger guys snaps to see what they have in them. And having a guy like Terrell Pryor on the roster who just isn't producing, that's, it's not going to work. So given the fact that he's got a relatively small salary, it's a movable thing, you can cut him, you can eat whatever money you have to, it seems like a no-brainer once, once you lay it out like that, doesn't it? Sure, I've never heard of Isaiah McKenzie. I don't know who the hell that is. <laughs> For all I know, you just made that name up. <laughs> and then there's Nathan Peterman. Who? Chris, I, I suggest you grab yourself another beer. I'm good. I'm good here. I'm good. This is my third. <laughs> because this is going to take a minute. First and most importantly, anybody who remembers back to our piece here on Jerry Sullivan getting fired by the Buffalo News over the summer knows that I'm never somebody to make fun of anyone else for losing their job. I don't care who you are, a reporter, an athlete, fuck the guys I work with, or guys you work with, Chris. Regardless of what you do for a living, you have kids to feed. You've got a house or an apartment to pay for. You've got a family to support and shit that you probably want to accomplish in life that takes money in order to do it. So it takes a real dickhead to knock somebody for losing the thing that gives them the ability to accomplish those things. At the same time, I, I don't know. I feel I hear this a lot on podcasts and on you know from stand-up comedians on radio shows and things. A lot of things that I listen to. I understand that there's a time and a place, but why is a little tongue-in-cheek mockery of an individual or maybe a situation that's been a source of frustration and angst? Why is that such a bad thing, Chris? You you like stand-up comedy. I love it more than my own family. <laughs> so so with that, what is it about this that I get it? I, I get outrage over things that are inappropriate and jokes being made at other people's expenses, but sometimes it's therapeutic, isn't it? That I don't get. It is definitely therapeutic. And for a guy that had as many chances as Peterman did, we are allowed to make fun of him. I, he I, had like five chances. He screwed every one of them up. Well, this is it. I mean, we're talking about a quarterback who, for as great of a human being and as nice of a guy and as uh, much of a class act as he might have been, literally has three touchdowns to 12 interceptions. Four or five of them went for touchdowns. One of them cost us a game just a few weeks ago that could have gone down as a well-deserved and hard-earned victory by our defense. And the guy's career rating, his career quarterback rating, is so low that if I were to drive that speed in my car anywhere outside of a school zone, I'd probably get pulled over for suspicion of DUI. I mean, that, that, I'm not, I can't make this stuff up. If we can't make light of that as a coping mechanism, then Chris, what the hell do we have left? <laughs> what, do, what do we have here as a podcast? We should be able to make fun of this Isn't for that as why long as we, we want. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that why we do this? It's... It's informative for people. It's fun. It's therapy. It's something we all do. We get together and we laugh about this stuff. And yet I look at social media and I see you've got guys who work for WGR being, you know, I don't know, bashing fans because, well, you should be classier than that. And he's this. And and then, I don't know, it's just arguing. Pointless arguing. I mean, (laughs) I, I, I will say this. 
I'm happy about it. If anything else, I'm happy about this move because his presence can stop dividing this fan base. I mean, Chris, it's almost been as bad as Tyrod when Tyrod was here. There's a number of people who will tell you flat out they still swear that Nathan Peterman could go to 20 other teams in the league and win a Super Bowl right now. Well, the majority of people would tell you he should probably take that NBA that he got from Pitt and go, I don't know, open a marketing agency somewhere. Go do something else. You still got the XFL. XFL's coming. He can play there. I mean, I I just... I think that he's a guy with tools that are wholly underdeveloped to ever have been starting in the NFL. And that's not his fault. Chris, if you don't know how to drive NASCAR, but I tell you I'm going to give you $600,000 a week to get behind the wheel of that car and go drive it, are you going to tell me no or are you going to try? Oh, I will get behind that wheel for six figures. Are you kidding me? You're damn right. So I can't fault Nathan Peterman for saying, look, I think I, and, and you have to be confident in order to play NFL quarterback. So I don't doubt that he believed that he could do it, or at least he believed that he could learn on the fly while he figured out how to do it. I don't fault him for any of this because he, in reality, he shouldn't have been in this situation. He should have been on a practice squad somewhere where he could hone his skills, stop staring down defensive backs. He stared down his wide receiver constantly, and that resulted in a lot of his turnovers. I think the ideal spot for him when we drafted him last year was to uh, put him on the practice squad, and then this year we drafted Allen, stays on the practice squad, have a veteran backup, and then like, like McKinnon was, he was drafted fifth round, hung around Cincinnati for five years, and he eventually became the backup. He, this guy needed two years on the practice squad. I just, he didn't get it. I think he got put into a losing situation. And yeah. when you talk about losing situations now, it's easy to look back and say, okay, well, now we can put him on the practice squad. As of, as of this podcast, I don't know whether that's happening or not, but here's what, I'll, here's what I'll compare this to. For me, it feels like having a significant other who cheats on you, and then you try, to make, and then you try to make it work after the fact. Okay, I've done that. Hear, hear me out, Chris. All right. You can try and forgive and forget all the hurtful things that this person did to you. All the shit that they did that just drove you crazy, that made you want to throw furniture, made you want to just go outside shirtless and scream at the moon. Okay? You can try to get past that. You can try to start over fresh. But how often in life does that actually work? Uh, the answer is never. <laughs> so I've seen enough. And if I'm wrong for saying that and he actually does go somewhere and flourishes a quarterback and wins a Super Bowl the way half of Facebook's willing to tell you that he will, you can all bring me an actual crow and I will be happy to douse that son of a bitch in Frank's Red Hot and get to work. Okay? But until then, that's it. I don't want to have to talk about this anymore. I'm glad it's over. So it's with that that we crack a beer, get out the lighters, and we say goodbye to Mr. Nathan Peterman. Happy trails and so long. I will remember you. Will you remember me? Don't let your life pass you by. Peterman rolling and throwing off the hands of DeMarco and intercepted. Patrick DeMarco couldn't hold it. Peterman hit, and that is his third interception of the day. Trey Boss.
Austin has it for a Charger takeaway. Down to the 46-yard line of Buffalo. Pass rushers that will come after the rookie, and they do. He floats one, and that's intercepted across the 25-yard line. He's got time, though. A wobbly throw is intercepted on the play. Picked up by Jefferson. Ladies and gentlemen, on to our Week 10 recap. The Buffalo Bills 41 and the New York Jets 10. Woo! What a ball game. Stats of the game as we do every week. Quarterback Matt Barkley, 15 of 25, good for 60%. 232 yards, two touchdowns, one sack, and a 117.4 rating. Chris, when did we have 100 quarterback rating this season? We found a quarterback that fits Daybold's system. Oh, God, I hate you. Quarterback Josh McCown, 17-34, good for 50%, 135 yards. No touchdowns, two interceptions, three sacks, and a 35.8 rating. Third down conversions. The Buffalo Bills were 8-16 of 16 on third down. The New York Jets were 1-12. of 12. Running back LaShawn McCoy, 26 rushes, 113 yards, two touchdowns. Running backs Marcus Murphy and wide receiver Isaiah McKenzie, when utilized as running backs, had 5.9 yards per carry and 101 combined yards. Wide receiver Zay Jones, 8 of 11, 93 yards, one touchdown, three, 10 or more, three catches of 10 yards or more. Linebacker Matt Milano, six tackles, one interception, one defended pass. And a concussion. Jets offense versus defense. The Jets offense, four straight three and outs. The Jets defense, 17 points allowed before their team got a first down. And the Jets committed the first triple hold that I've ever seen in my lifetime. That's a thing that happened on Sunday, folks. As improbable as all of this may seem. Now, This whole thing, if I want to make a story of what we saw on Sunday, to me it all starts with the shuffles, Chris. We talked about it last week, the shuffling of the wide receiver core, the offensive line, the quarterback. 
despite a string of solid defensive performances, the Bills' offense had stagnated through the course of four or five games to the point that it ruined everything that the team was trying to do. But against, Chris, against Chicago in that second half, the oh, Bills, we weren't there for it. No, no, we were not. <laughs> the Bills started shuffling the offensive line rotation. And then that led to a shuffling of the wide receivers. The results, even against a team where Joe Blewett last, in last week's show kind of pointed to the fact that their team really didn't have a pass rush, that their pass, pass rush was kind of toothless, and that their defensive line just lacks a natural ability to get after the passer or be a force against the run consistently. Chris, what we saw up front from this team was incredible compared to what we've watched over the last four weeks. Yeah, I, I, I tried my best to pay attention to what Wyatt Teller was doing because he finally got some snaps. Oh, Wyatt Teller. I mean, th- that's it. Th- th- that's one of the big names. I mean, if you want to get into it, Wyatt Teller probably, out of everybody who got rotated in, made, I'd say, the second or third biggest splash. Vlad Dukas finally got shelved, and the rookie finally got some snaps. And you look at it, and I mean, he, I went back through and rewatched the game and specifically focused on Wyatt Teller, just to see, play in, play out, how he did. And I mean, I'm not a film reviewer. I'm not Eric Turner. I'm not, uh, you know, who else out there does film review? Joe Blewett. I'm not Joe Blewett from the Turn on the Jets film room. So, no, I'm not a nuanced film reviewer. Yes, there's air quotes flying around here. A visual joke on a podcast. It's fucking great. (laughs) But having said that, I counted at least three separate occasions, okay? Three separate occasions. I mean, it wasn't all good where he didn't get his feet set off the snap and just got walked into the backfield. I mean, Chris, you recall the, the play with LaShawn McCoy yeah, where LaShawn McCoy almost gets killed by the defensive end, just oh, knocks yeah. him on his ass? Oh, yeah. That's because Teller loses his man, and the guy just comes into the backfield with a head of steam enough that McCoy can't block him. But when you get past those, you look at it, and there was some sweetheart plays mixed in there. I know everybody. The big play that caught everyone's attention was when he came over and just pancaked the man that Dawkins was blocking. Just mashed him to the ground. And that's that's fantastic. That's great. But I was actually more impressed by his play on the Dawkins touchdown that you heard in the open. I mean, think about it, Chris. You're a a rookie playing in your first game, and you know full well that Dawkins is going to roll out for a pass. So you know going into this that not only do you have to be responsible for your own man at the line of scrimmage, but you also have to be you have to be left tackle and left guard at the same time. I feel like when that happens and Dawkins has Dawkins is gonna do like a chip a chip block and then go out for that pass, I would assume Teller like you just said, guard and tackle same time, that his uh footwork has to be on point. To handle that. It absolutely was. And that was the impressive thing for me about that play. You watch him take on defensive lineman Mike Pennell, who doesn't really get a ton of push, which gives him the ability to not only block him, but then also slide over because Darren Lee, the linebacker for the Jets, came on sort of a delayed blitz almost. And as he starts to close in, Teller has to slide over in order to account for him too. And he did it. He did it well enough to sell everything and suck all those three guys in so that all you're left with is one linebacker three yards behind Dawkins when he realizes what's happening. And yet, Chris, that whole play explodes if Darren Lee's allowed to get in the backfield and get into the quarterback's face. But he can't because he's the size of a little child. 
Chris, I'm pretty sure he's bigger than you are and outweighs you by like 50 pounds. Please, I got a dad bod. <laughs> you don't have no dad bod. Oh. And then I think the final thing that I noticed when rewatching the game. Last week, I outlined that the Bills were 32nd to the NFL in blocking at the second level. You know what I mean? Getting bodies out into linebackers and defensive backs, opening up wider rushing lanes for the running backs. Wyatt Teller, I mean, he, he, he isn't consistent yet. I mean, it didn't happen on an overly consistent basis. But I saw enough times to make me think that he's going to grow into this role of being able to make a block at the line of scrimmage move off of him and head downfield ready to block the next guy who comes across him. He did it enough times over the course of the game. I mean, you saw it on some of our bigger runs off of the left tackle and off of the left side of the line where Teller was out there in space creating some more room for McCoy to operate. I think he was a great addition to this. And I think he's a big part of why we had all of a sudden this newfound rushing success. And then you look at the passing game. Chris, our passing game has been historically bad since the beginning of the season. This is the first game where things really clicked. And I think one of the biggest changes that were made, I mean, look at Robert Foster. The addition of Robert Foster in the preseason, we tried throwing bombs to him and he just couldn't track them well enough in the air to make it effective. And I believe he was active early on in the season. And we tried hitting him on the same the same types of routes, and it still wasn't clicking. Back to the practice squad, more time with the coaches, more time in the offense. All of a sudden, you know, we we opened the game with a, just a deep shot to him. Because the coaching staff, I'm sure they came out and wanted to accomplish a few things. One, they knew they needed to reverse the trend that we've talked about for weeks. Loaded boxes. Loaded boxes. Yeah, what are you saw in the Patriots game. Extra, absolutely. Loaded boxes are this offense, it's the kryptonite for this team. Because our offensive line isn't good enough to get on linebackers, and if you put too many guys back there, there's just free tacklers ready to ramp up your running backs. So when you take those shots downfield successfully, that can alter the entire game as far as how your offense is allowed to operate and how you can be successful. I think that was huge. I mean, Chris... A 47-yard and a 43-yard catch. I'm looking at this as Foster's got to build on this performance. And then right here, right here, if he keeps building on this, look, we got ourselves a deep threat. And by what we've seen in the last couple weeks from Zay Jones, we kind of have like a possession over the middle receiver with him. And maybe all we really need is a a one somewhere. because We know that's not Kelvin Benjamin. (laughs) He gets a one, like a number one when he goes to Popeye's for chicken. And then the the other wide receiver that really stood out was Isaiah McKenzie. The guy we tried apparently to get him weeks ago. We tried to sign him off the Broncos practice squad, and they promoted him to prevent us from taking him. So now he's here. We land him off waivers. He, come, he, he comes to us. And in his first game in a Bills uniform, he sees action at three different positions. I mean, it might not have sh- – if you were to just look at a box score, you'd say, oh, that Isaiah guy, he had an okay day. Until you really dig into it and realize that he had one passing target, but he caught it for 14 yards. 35 yards on the ground as a running back on just three carries. And on special teams, he got 33 yards on his only kick return and had 10.5 yards per punt return. I mean, he strikes me as a Ty Montgomery type player. 
A guy who can split out as a wide receiver, but who can also line up in the backfield and make something happen for you because he's a very agile little guy. I, you take that and roll it into a guy who's willing to go out there and not only play special teams, because some, Chris, Terrell Pryor didn't play special teams. No. He had zero, zero special team snaps this year. No, and I, I honestly don't think we've had, I honestly do not think we've had a legitimate kick punt returner since Terrence McGee. No. <laughs> and so I, I genuinely believe that McKenzie's role in this offense on Sunday was wholly underplayed, just underplayed. I mean, all in all, the young faces that we shuffled into the lineup made a huge impact in Sunday's game. But the biggest story is probably the old dudes, Chris, the old dudes who showed up. First of all, LaShawn McCoy. LaShawn McCoy scored his first touchdown of the year on just the second play of the game. It set the tone, and it also cost Chris a Seagram's bat. <laughs> Yeah, we'll you, to... That's the fastest I think anyone's ever made and then subsequently lost a Seagram's bet. Yeah, we'll have to film that when we're done here. And and while he doesn't look like the McCoy of the years past, I mean, Mario Granada came over to my house and we were watching the game on Sunday from Hashtag Sports, and we both commented on the fact that he just doesn't look as explosive as we're used to seeing LaShawn McCoy. Because he's 30. <laughs> that being said, Chris... He still hit that spin move in the backfield to avoid a tackle for loss that all I could think about was Chris Berman. What? That's all I was thinking. Man, do I miss Chris Berman. Where is he now? Uh, Not working. He's retired. All I know is LaShawn McCoy with the changes we made and and the plays we made, just the things that we did differently, the jet sweeps we ran with Isaiah McKenzie, that, that spread the defense horizontally. The deep shots we were able to take with uh, Robert Foster. That helped open things up in the box and LaShawn McCoy look like a competent running back again. Just a week removed from having a 1.0 yards per carry average. I mean, it's, it's, it's play calling. Not only is it play calling, but it's the execution of your quarterback. Matt fucking Barkley. I kept joking in the days leading up to the game that I hoped we won and that we'd go into the bye week with the franchise into the fan base in a frenzy because we had four possible starting options at quarterback. (laughs) Once we get out of the bye. Yeah, it's like he's this year's Thad Lewis. Right? (laughs) In fact, listener Michael Partham actually had one of the funniest things about uh, Matt Barkley. You know, he, he was kind of, we were just talking, kind of waxing poetic on the quarterback situation throughout this, over the course of this season. And he referred to Matt Barkley as Schrodinger's quarterback. He's <laughs> like, you know, all these, for those of you who don't know Schrodinger's cat, it's the concept of there's a cat in a box and there's some poison in there, but you don't know whether the cat's dead. You don't know whether the cat's died or not until you open the box and find out that the cat's dead. Until then, the cat very well may be alive. Much like these Bills quarterbacks have been. You don't know whether they suck until you put them out there on the field and find out that they suck. So with that, Matt Barkley became just cat number four. Or quarterback number four, if that's what you want. Schrodinger's quarterback. Maybe he's not bad, but we're not going to know until we pick up the box. Well, this time around, holy shit, Chris. I would have bet you a month's worth of paychecks. A month's worth of paychecks that there's no way this guy comes out and is the engine that drives the offense. No. 
I did not expect any of that from Barkley. I thought the Jets had a good enough defense to be able to make him look like Matt fucking Barkley. Well, that's and that's it. I, I guess I just don't understand. I mean, coming into a game like this, signed just two weeks ago, you would assume that in the case of Josh McCown, the quarterback who's been holding a clipboard for the offense that he's been that he's been a, at least a part of for the last thirteen weeks would come out and be the more aggressive guy. At least compared to some guy who, for all we know, has spent the last year and a half just playing golf and walking around Walmart in a bathrobe at two o'clock in the afternoon, like the like uh, the dude from the Big Lebowski. I mean, for all we know, that's what Mac Barkley's been doing up until he signed with the Buffalo Bills, and yet Matt Barkley came out and from that very first play, there was no fear. That's the thing I think that struck me the most about the way he played. There was no fear to attempt these downfield throws, which if you're new to a playbook, new to a team, new to an offensive line, which if you were just sitting at home watching the box scores or after the Bills called and you accepted their offer to sign with the team, and then you said, hey, let me go check pro football reference and see how they've done. Holy shit, that's a lot of sacks. To know that he just had the composure to stand back there behind that line and trust that they're going to watch his, watch his back and make sure he doesn't get killed. That impressed the hell out of me. Yeah, you don't, you don't, at least coming from Matt Barkley, you don't know if you're going to get another opportunity, so why not go out there and fucking let it rip? Absolutely. And he did that to first play, connecting with Foster. The, the, the Zay Jones touchdown through traffic mm-hmm. and his pocket manipulation and stepping up, it was, he just let it rip. And I mean, it was impressive. It wasn't all perfect. Okay, uh, watching the game with Mario, Forder, uh, a former D three quarterback, there was a couple times where Matt Barkley would make throws. The Zay Jones catch, where he comes back to it, probably at the, I think he catches it like twelve or fourteen yards downfield, like at the hash marks. And Mario just kind of horror movie as soon as Barkley released the ball because he was throwing some rainbows. I mean, some of those. <laughs> Some of those passes. Oh, yeah, there were a couple passes. There's that, a couple passes that I, oh, those are 50-50 balls where, hey, maybe the wide receiver gets it or maybe that gets picked off with speed. <laughs> it gets picked off coming the other way with speed. And we got lucky. You know, I'd rather be lucky than good. I guess that's the saying. And Barkley was that on Sunday. And I think the biggest takeaway if we're talking about old dudes contributing here I, along with a bunch of other people out there, probably deserve to eat a little bit of crow in terms of Brian Dable. I mean, I've, I've stuck up for him, then I've railed against him. I've flip-flopped on this guy. It's incredible. And I apologize, but that's just how I feel. You, well, know, you, have, to, you have to take it week by week. This is what you see this week. This is what you think he's, he's done. You're allowed to slightly flip-flop. Well, that's but a- you can't go like Dennison last year, week two, you just... <laughs> just week two, I'm week two, I'm done. Hey, I've he, got, seen- he got fired, so I just I stick by my week two designation that he sucked. Brian Dable, he's like the rest of the team, and the fact that he's had a, a, he's had great moments, he's had some really bad moments. There's been some games where you just wonder what the hell he's looking at, and yet when you look at the number of brand new faces being thrown in, you look at the number of concepts that he was running on Sunday that they've been trying to execute all season. 
They just didn't have the personnel to pull it off. They didn't have a wide receiver with speed enough to get downfield like Robert Foster. They didn't have, and I mean, think about this, Chris. We stretched the defense for the first time all season because we had a wide receiver who was able to get behind the top cornerbacks on the Jets team consistently. It dragged their DBs and their safeties out of the box, whether they liked it or not. And on the flip side of that with Isaiah McKenzie, you had a wide receiver who's fast enough that when you call a jet sweep, he can get to the edge so quickly you have to respect it. So now linebackers can't just plug the middle of the field. They have to be cognizant of this. What did I tell you last week? Dayball don't have the ingredients to work with. It looks like the, this week Bean and McDermott. Here, we gave you chocolate chips. Here's a bag of sugar. Okay, I got a little bit more to work with. And we got to see it. Robert Foster, some deep balls. Barkley, throwing the ball around the field. He's getting a little stuff, some stuff to make his fucking cookies. Chris, I will apologize to Brian Dable, but I will never apologize to you. <laughs> I, I, rather, than, rather than acknowledge the fact that you may have a point, we're going to move on. Because the other side of the ball... Gotta love it when I'm right. <laughs> the other love s- it when I'm right. The other side of the ball, man, did they have a game. And I think they finally are getting the recognition. I mean, I think that's the thing. I mean, Chris, when you think about it, the defense finally got a little bit of shine now that it wasn't being lost in the afterglow of a tire fire. I mean, <laughs> because that's what, they've, that's what the last four or five games have been in terms of the defense. I mean, maybe even not back that far, but at least the last two or three. I mean, look at what we saw on Sunday. Our defense held the Jets to fewer than 10 yards on each of their first four possessions. And they finished two of them with negative yardage. And if you were to go down five possessions, the one that they did get more than 10 ended with a pick. In that time span, the Bills' offense was able to just blow the game wide open and make their offense almost wholly one-dimensional, which played right into the hands of our defense. We held the Jets' offense as a whole to fewer than 200 yards. And now that makes two games where we've allowed less than 200 yards. Back-to-back. That's an incredible feat. And I think that, Chris, if this had been another blowout loss, no one would be paying attention to that. No one would be giving the defense a pat on the back. I mean, certainly not. Look at the negative plays. We talked about it a little bit last week. Look at what they did this Sunday. Two interceptions, three sacks by three different players. And our front seven had eight tackles in the running game for zero or fewer yards. That's fucking impressive. To know that on a losing football team with a 3-7 and seven record, you are now looking at it here. You're the number one defense in the NFL in terms of yardage. You're 3-7, and seven, but it's not the defense's fault. And the world got a chance to see that on Sunday. Or at least the suckers who tuned into our game from the net. I mean, because I'm pretty sure, Chris, every other market had a more watchable game than we did. No, that game was just in northern PA and uh, most in New York State. (laughs) They kept it as small as they could. Oh, man. I mean, I have nothing to nitpick on the defensive side. I got to give them a hand. Every unit from the linebackers to the defensive line to the D-backs, they looked good. Chris, can you think of a negative thing to say? No, I'm just uh, curious to know of Matt Milano's injury. That's going to be something to watch. I That's mean, it, it. It's a concussion. Trey Edmonds went into the concussion protocol after the uh, Monday Night Football game. And he came back, and he looked good on Sunday. 
My hope is that with the week off, Matt Milano will be ready to go when it comes time to play the Jaguars in two weeks because we're going to need him. I mean, that's a game where you need your linebackers. You're talking about a team with Leonard Fournette with an impo- a pretty impressive running game. So it's we're going to need all hands on deck, but that's a situation worth monitoring. But even then, that said, what a fucking game. What a game, Chris. What a, what a time to be a Bills fan. Hero and zero of the week. I, I had any an untold number of candidates who might have deserved this, but we decided to give it to uh, left tackle Deion Dawkins. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. I love fat guy touchdowns, Chris. I love it. I absolutely love it when a fat dude who's not supposed to get into the end zone, who doesn't know how to do an end zone dance, who's probably never gronked a football and might screw it up, when they get into the end zone, that's something worth applauding. Don't you think? That goes right... Now, am I in, if there's a touchdown Hall of Fame in my head, this one's going to go in there somewhere next to Kyle Williams' touchdown against the Miami Dolphins last year, and the time Dontari Poe, defensive tackle, I think he was like 350 or 360 pounds, lined up as a fullback and ran one in from two yards out. God, I love that stuff. You know what I don't love? Wide receivers who don't try. And that's why Kelvin Benjamin is our zero of the week. Hey, if you want me to take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed, I will. You know what I'll mark guaranteed? is the fact that Kelvin Benjamin, guaranteed, the fact that if you were to put this to a vote, two-thirds of the fan base would rather take Kelvin Benjamin's $8.5 million salary converted into food from Taco Bell's dollar menu. Then they would just, they would rather have that than watch him just jog around the field lethargically every single Sunday. I'm tired of this. Robert Foster, Zay Jones, and Isaiah McKenzie are out here having having games. The games of their careers. Where was Kelvin Benjamin? I don't know. He was somewhere near the sidelines doing God knows what. <laughs> he was targeted three times. You're supposed to be the number one wide receiver on this team. You're only able to generate three targets from a quarterback who's clearly willing to throw the football. And you failed to catch any of them. The one in the touch, the one the touchdown pass. That's the most egregious to me. You're a big guy, okay? You're a big dude who's not fast. So the only thing you have going for you is that you can outsize your opponent, you can catch the ball with your larger catch radius, and you can come down with it. What happened? You had it in your hands, and you can't even secure it, Chris. It's just a lack of effort. That's at this point. He doesn't like playing for a 3-7 football team. That's what it is. Then get him out of here. With all the roster shuffling that's going on, get him out of here. Fool this man! (laughs) (laughs) Much as as frustrated as I sound talking about Calvin Benjamin, it's because, I got to tell you, weeks of podcasting for games. I mean, this game was a breath of fresh air for me. And last night when I'm sitting on my couch re-watching this game for the second time, it was enjoyable. Before we, when we used to do this a year ago and a year before that, I loved watching a Bills game, even if it was a loss or a close loss, like the Cincinnati Bengal game or the uh, Carolina Panthers game from last year or a close win. Like the Atlanta game, where it's just nerve-wracking the entire time. 
I loved going back and reliving that. Getting a taste of that just, oh, we're so close. What's going to happen? The rewatching the game, even though you know how it ends. This season, it's like being hit in the head with a shovel. I mean, it's just reliving this. And, and then talking about it on the podcast, it, I feel like some of that has filtered through here. So I apologize to some of our listeners because I feel like this has been tough. I mean, it, it's been a tough season. And we've only been podcasting for a few years. I feel like when you're in a situation like this, it helps to talk to somebody who has a little bit more experience with this type of a this type of a thing. And so we wanted to talk to somebody tonight on the show who might be able to relate to that feeling a little bit. And so, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, we have Lars from the Bills and Beers podcast here with us tonight. Lars, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. So I hear a lot of background noise in the area. Where are you right now? <laughs> I know. Last time I talked to you guys, I was driving across 290. Now I'm in O'Hare's airport. Is it too loud? <laughs> no, no, it's fantastic. No. I think it's great. Just yeah, like, it makes you it makes you look important to other people. Is what it does. <laughs> like, I'm all, I'm always on the move, guys. You can't you can't catch me in one place. <laughs> so one of the things that I think that a lot of our listeners and you know they've gotten it from us this season. I mean, we have a type of show we try to run here. And since its inception, our show has kind of fit a certain mold, you know, but it's because the seasons have always kind of gone a certain way. They've been either, you know, pretty much a show built around a team that plays football at a mediocre level. Sometimes they're up, sometimes they're down. Generally speaking, there's an even amount of good and bad. This season has been a test, to say the least. Now, for our podcast, that's meant that it's been really hard to generate interesting and entertaining content do you feel like you guys have felt some of that uh you know we have the benefit of having just watched the game and usually having done so rolling a couple beers deep so we don't really lack for things to talk about and because we're you know quick to give our takes we don't have the burden of thought so we just kind of let it flow uh but Sometime after the Bears game, yeah, we were a little bit speechless as to like what like what is there left to say after the last time Nate Peterman took the field. Um, but you know, now it's lots of intrigue. It sounds like Josh is coming back, and obviously the the Matt Barkley thing took everybody by storm last week. So, um, just when you think that there's nothing to say and that we've just been there and done that before, somehow the team manages to do something crazy to keep you coming back. Uh, it's, that's what I said at the, be- the very beginning of the show. I opened this with, if I had a dollar for every time the Buffalo Bills lull you into thinking you know what's going to happen and then doing something else, I could buy a very, very nice 12-pack of beer. <laughs> and it, it's why we're still fans after all these years because, yeah, it's, you never know what to expect. So, that's the unexpected. So your podcast this year, how how have things gone in terms of, I mean, I guess you've been doing this for much longer than we have. You guys are going on your 10th year, I believe? Yeah, so we started in 2009, so this is technically our 10th year, but we haven't completed it, so we're in we're nine years in. Okay. So um, it, and I guess it's going okay. Are you In terms of like where our listenership is at and, and stuff like that? I just mean in terms of your overall enjoyment of it. Your, your enjoyment <laughs> of doing it. Because cause this is my, I guess this is the pro- part of a broader question. In your time of doing these sorts of shows, have you ever had to go through a season a season quite like this one? This, this, this has been a particularly taxing season, for sure. 
2010 was not much better. Uh, but that we were young enough then, we didn't have a whole lot going on. If I had a kid and a wife in 2010 and a career like I do now, probably would have hung this up a long time. Ago. Oh man, how's how's how are Cassie and Suge taking everything? They're they're taking it straight. You know, Cass is you know she's a party girl. She she is, she's going to bring the heat regardless. Um, and Suge is like the most stubborn person walking the planet. So trying to get him to come off any any tradition or any routine is is damn near impossible. So if nothing else, it sounds like he may he could very well, even if this thing does come off the rails and unravel here for us, Suge might be the glue that really holds you guys together. Sujit will be the last man standing. The Bills Bar in Chicago may be burning down, but he will be squarely planted in his stool, not moving anywhere to watch the game. He's, he's in it for the long haul. So as a longtime fan who's been doing this type of stuff, I mean, here we are, we're at the bye week. You're traveling for work. Or, or maybe for pleasure. I don't know. I'm assuming for work. Um, <laughs> not not, go, not going to Arkansas on a Wednesday for pleasure. <laughs> I don't think anybody goes to Arkansas for pleasure <laughs> at all, ever. No. no. But, I don't uh, think that's a good time of year to go there. So I guess the thing is this is the bye week. You know, a chance for everybody to take a step back, a deep breath, and kind of just – I don't know. Take that cleansing. You know, you have a weekend where there isn't a football game for you to stress over or to try to you know, try to parse as as it's happening and after it's happening. We've got what six games ahead of us, Chris? Something like that. Six, six games remaining, and four of them are home games. Ugh. For you, for you as a Bills fan and also as a podcaster, how do you approach the last six weeks of a season like this? You know, so I'll, I'll, let me say it this way. So not no, there was never any consideration that we'd be recording during the bye week. I mean, we're taking the time off. We got, we got nothing to say, but we're, we're taking the week off. But um, I don't know, the guy who runs like the Bills Fanatics page today, he posted something he got from a guy deployed in Afghanistan about how like, hey man, it's just your videos that you post to kind of get me up every morning. It's the only thing I look forward to. And it makes me really look forward to coming home back to the United States. We've never gotten a note like that, with like, like you know, that is that deep, or you know, that we have that kind of impact on people. But we get nice notes from listeners all the time. And honestly, like at this point, that's why we do it. We do it because people enjoy it. People count on it. Um, and so from that from that standpoint, we're happy to do it. Um, it's, it's really not about us anymore. Uh, because, like I said, if, if it was, like, this would be a tough year to, to try and justify. Yeah. I mean, as a fan, I mean, it's, and just as a pure fan, to sit back and take this all in and know, hey, I've got six more times I have to I have to saddle up and try to ride the, ride the bull six well, more times. But you're a season ticket holder, man, so you got to go and watch this. I mean, so, <laughs> like, that's I, – I feel for the people who are going to be sitting there in meaningless games in December, possibly, you know, 25 degrees and raining. You know, that's – at the end of the day, that's worse than having to report a podcast. This hey, one. I signed up to be a season ticket holder this year, and so I sit next to Drew, and I got four more games of it. <laughs> you can tell by the, enth- I mean, the enthusiasm in his voice. You can tell how much he's looking forward to that. <laughs> well, I mean, the crazy part is, guys, like they could conceivably win more games than they lose from here on out because the schedule is so easy. So like, there may be some fun games to watch. It's just kind of sucks that they're meaningless at this point. 
You know what? I think for me, the thing is, it's tailgating, man. That's my. I pride myself on being good at tailgating. I went out in the middle of that snow, the snow game against the Colts, and I put together a mean tailgate for about twenty people, literally by myself before the sun came up. In the middle of, I lost my tent three different times. I'd get it set up, and it would (laughs) blow away on me. And there was people in campers pointing and laughing at me. But that's what that's what keeps me going, and that's what gets me out of bed. On those Sunday mornings, I mean, it's going to be. Well, I'm I'm, pick, I'm picking up a pretty somber tone. Are you guys thinking about hanging up the microphone? Like, no, no. A tough time making it work. Oh no, no it's just... this is our first bad season as, as at podcasting because we've been. This is our technically, I think, our fourth year. Fourth year, and then it's all been seven, nine, eight, and eight, nine, and seven. This is the first crappy year we've had to face, and so, it's so I feel it's like it's nice to talk to somebody else and commiserate with somebody who's been around for more of this than we have. I mean, for yeah. me, trying to podcast through this, I've been a babe in the woods. I thought that this was going to be bad, like just hard from a fandom standpoint. I didn't realize how hard, <laughs> but yet here we well, are every I'll, week. You know, I'll put it this way too: like I, I like I get so annoyed at preseason predictions where like, oh, I can't see this team winning more than three games, four games top. Like, do people remember 2010? They had to go 0 and 8 to get to 4 and 12. Like, that's a bad. Season. I mean, it's not even going to be that bad this year, too. So I, I even feel like in the last decade, we've seen worse. And people, I think, tend to forget that. I mean, this season's been bad. There's been some dark spots. It's going to turn around. I'm thinking it's highly likely they get to six, maybe even seven wins. Um, but, like, it, it has been a lot worse. 2010 was a bad time. And, you, and yet you found a way to persevere. <laughs> you found a way to persevere. I, I had, let's, let's just say I had a lot less going on back then. All right. Well, Lars, I'll tell you this. We are going to be at the stadium. I'm, I'm going to call you after, <laughs> after the next one of these games as I'm trudging back to the vehicle after the game. How about that? Yeah, please do. We, we got your uh, view from the cheap seats. I think it was last season. We're overdue for that, so let's plan to connect this week. <laughs> or next week, rather, after Jacksonville. Fantastic, Lars. You enjoy the rest of your trip, and I, I just appreciate you, like I said, coming on to commiserate with us in what feels like a lost season, and yet here we all are, right? Here we are. If, we, if, if, there, if there was no commiseration, what would we be as Bill said? Absolutely. And where can we find you on uh, Twitter? Bills and Bears, baby. Just search for Bills and Bears. That's where you find everything we do. Again, big shout-out to Lars. You can find his podcast at uh, billsandbeers.podbean.com. We're going to be calling him from the cheap seats throughout the course of the end of the season here because, I mean, it's just, it's like I said, it's good to commiserate with people, good or bad, positive or negative. Sometimes it's good to just get together with other people who understand what it is you do in this type of a scenario. I mean, Chris, I don't know how many, I don't know how many producer friends you have. Zero. <laughs> As opposed to normal friends, which is also zero. <laughs> so do I fall into the category of friends? You're just a guy that comes over on mortal on, enemies. You're just a guy that shows up on Wednesdays to drink my beer. <laughs> and I'm okay with that because you bring pizza. <laughs> oh, oh, Chris, I love you. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> and Jesus. with that, we're going to talk about some people who feel much worse today than the Buffalo Bills do. You are one pathetic loser. Week 10, people who have it worse than us. From the top, the entire AFC East. The Jets are a mess. I mean, I 
I almost didn't believe last week's guest, Joe Blewett, when he was describing the poor coaching, the poor play, play calling, the lack of effort. The, <laughs> I, mean, I didn't believe any of that until I saw it with my own two eyes. I mean, on Sunday, their two most expensive defensive backs, Tremaine Johnson and Buster Screen, or two of their most expensive, I should say, were responsible for giving up over 140 yards through the air just due to poor coverage. And at the end of the first quarter, the yardage total for the team was 186 to 1 in favor of Buffalo. The, Chris, this week, it was fire and brimstone. And then the GM came out and essentially told members of the press that despite the fan base and the local media's in just insistence that head coach Todd Bowles is the worst thing since Rich Kotite, and that he has to be sent packing, he won't be fired because they don't have anyone else better in the building to take over. I mean, don't take my word for it. Listen to it from New York City's mainstream media in their own words. But yesterday was as embarrassing a moment for me as a fan of this franchise as I've ever had. That you have the kind of lack of effort, or whatever you want to call that yesterday, bro, that this, this, this football team showed against a team who came into this game at 2-7, and seven, who came into this game losing four in a row, who came into this game having scored 33 points in their last four games, who come into this game with a quarterback that wasn't even in the league two weeks ago. This team quit on the coach yesterday. They never were ready to play football. They weren't prepared to play football. They weren't even a professional football team yesterday. They would have had trouble beating any of the top four teams in college football the way they played yesterday. I'm sorry. That was an out-and-out disgrace, what we saw. And this coach, it's over for this coach. And he needs to be fired today. This guy, maybe only Richie Kotite, has been a worse coach in the history of this franchise than this guy. Maybe. I, 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 he, he, that's it. There is nobody else. Since then, it has been Kotitean. Everything about it. They don't win games. They've won games the last three years. At the first play of the game, a guy off the practice oh squad God. catches a 48-yard bomb against the prize yeah. free agent acquisition. It's a fourth down, a fourth and five, and the New York Jet coaching staff had their heads up their derrieres. They had no idea. That, I don't even think they know you could fake punt. The only counter I have, and I'm not even going to fight it because what am I fighting is getting rid of him, just like getting rid of Ben McAdoo, does nothing well, other than please some fans and do the guy a favor by getting him well, out. Yeah. That's it. That's all the comp. The Jets had one penalty yesterday. Well, you know what? It was a holding penalty, but you know what? Three different guys held on the play. Can't make it Bro, up. Three, I don't think I've ever <laughs> seen three different guys hold on the same damn play. What? That Third and 20. And Maurice Claiborne oh, gets I think it was Foster again, right? It was Foster. Gets beat for like 50 yards on third and 20 by Matt Barkley. What? The quarterback for the Buffalo Bills was Matt freaking Barkley. Evan Roberts and Joe Bonino from WFAN. I tweeted it out on Monday. Listen to WFAN. This is a better listen than you will find on GR. I listened I listened to 10 hours of WFAN. It was the best. It was the absolute best. Those kind of takes all day on the fan. I loved it. Oh, I want to roll around in that. Like when my dog finds something in the yard that he thinks smells good and he just throws himself down in it. That's what I want to do with just all of that. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm just keeping this clip as a uh, like. Okay, I'm feeling a little bit down about like the city as as sports goes. I'll just listen to that. It's just like a pick me up, right up. <laughs> oh, I feel better about myself. Somebody has it worse. 
And then you got the Dolphins over here. First of all, they wear teal. So right off the top, you already suck. They're fresh off a 31-7 loss to the Packers. Their offensive line has literally one healthy starter from the group that came out on week one to start the game. Their coach, Adam Gaze, actually said in a recent press conference that if you have a pulse, then you're under consideration to play on the offensive line. That's that's how they're going to find their starters, Chris. They're still trotting out Brock. I have one decent game a season, Osweiler. In 2017, the Dolphins went 3-6 and six from October to November and essentially just drove a nail into, their, uh, into the coffin of their postseason hopes. In 2018, the Finns started off 3-0 and oh from October to November. They're already 2-4, and four, and they look like a good shot to repeat that again because they have to play Indy, the Vikings, and New England. Chris, can we say it's over for these guys? I think so, but I mean couple weeks i can't wait to talk to travis wingfield about it oh my god that's gonna feel good and then the patriots the patriots are zero and two on the season i mean folks does anything make monday better than a bills win on the same day that the patriots get their heads kicked in by somebody i don't think it does my coffee tasted better i didn't even put sugar in it it was great they're zero and two on the season when they play former defensive players and coaches and they've scored just 10 points a game against either one of them while getting trounced by mediocre teams like the Titans and the Lions. Now there's questions creeping in, and you're starting to hear this ramp up. I mean, it's something that's been around for a while, but, but the, but the boo-birds are starting to come out again in terms of Tom Brady is a system quarterback. People say it, and then they get decried, and people point to the Super Bowl rings, and they point to everything else. But why is it that everybody who knows anything about how the Patriots operate on offense and has spent enough time around that franchise knows how to dismantle it? What? <laughs> Chris, I don't have an explanation for it, and hopefully neither do they. I mean, you think about what happened to them on Sunday. They went into Tennessee and just got beat up. They got beat up on the ground. Mariota looked good. He made plays with his arms. He made plays with his legs. And... Some husky woman in a Patriots jersey went viral on YouTube for trying to eat a Titans flag in the stands before the games, which I'm assuming was in protest of outrageous concession prices. The division as a whole heads into the bye week on a down note, except for us. (laughs) Also making the list this week, Jaguars defensive back Jalen Ramsey. Chris August 15th feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? It does. Uh, The sun was here, (laughs) and that's all I can think of. That's the day that GQ ran an article built around writer Clay Skipper's interview with the ballsy defensive back, Jalen Ramsey. The guy literally went to this magazine, and he didn't realize how his words were going to be spun. I don't care. He trashed everything and everyone who didn't wear teal and black jersey. And I guess, on one hand, why shouldn't the guy? He was a star defensive back on one of the best defenses the NFL had seen in years. Chris, their defense alone almost propelled him to the Super Bowl for the first time in, I think, franchise history. Yeah, and you thought that was going to happen again this year. I did. I called it. I owe a whole bunch of drinks to somebody out there. But now sitting here on November 14th, it's, it's safe to say that freezing cold takes would have a field day with this guy. If you just look back at that article. I mean, look look at this. He said, in terms of Dak Prescott, 
Dak Prescott, he's just all right. All right. Yeah. Well, the Jaguars blew. The Jaguars got blown out forty to seven, and a lot of blown coverages when they played the Cowboys earlier this year. It just led to a runaway score. And afterwards, it led to one of the most depressing press conferences of Jalen's entire life. He went on to say this, Andrew Luck, I don't think he's very good. He and T.Y. got a connection in the past that made him stand out a little more, but I don't think he's good. Well, we are fresh off a performance where Andrew Luck threw for 285 yards and three touchdowns in a game that the Jaguars lost on a fumble. (laughs) Lost on a fumble. (laughs) He goes on. He says, Blake Bortles, as an organization, we should have trusted him to keep throwing it. And went on to say what a great quarterback he thought Blake Bortles was. Then he went on to bash a bunch of other people. Big Ben, he just slings it and his wide receivers go get it. He has a strong arm, but he ain't all that. Matt Stafford is just okay. He'd do what he gotta do. I think Matt Ryan is overrated. Blake Bortles is behind every single one of those quarterbacks in every major statistic, including yards, completion percentage, and the number of times that they've been benched this season in the middle of a game. And now he's not only being publicly called out by journalists and analysts for apparently freelancing during the games, refusing to play zone defense along with the rest of the team, which is turning into giant plays, but the shit that he's been talking on social media has actually prompted a response from his head coach in one of his press conferences. Because we all know how much Doug Marone likes it when players have a personality or dissent or don't do as they're told. Right, Chris? 100%. Can't wait for uh, after the bye, Bills and Jaguars. Can't wait for it. I mean, guys, regardless of how bad we felt personally after a Bills loss at times this season, I think it's safe to say that this guy, <laughs> he's learning a much tougher lesson right now about being cocky, overly optimistic, or just talking shit when maybe you shouldn't have. God help him. If Josh, if all that Josh Allen smack talk, where he essentially said that he thinks he's trash, God help him if that comes back to haunt him the way the rest of these have. And then I didn't want to do it because I felt like you know rehashing something is old hat. But the Oakland Raiders make the list again. I mean, the Oakland Raiders and their fans, Chris. What do you do? Last week, we talked about the suffering of their fan base. And then they proceed to lose in embarrassing fashion 20-6 to to the Chargers. I feel like i got to come back here. The Raiders are now 1-8. They haven't scored a touchdown in nine straight quarters. They've been outscored 75-9 to during that span. And the three teams that did it have a combined record that still isn't 500. <laughs> they were booed off the field, <laughs> Chris, by a bunch of people in Oakland who literally won't be able to watch them after 2020. I'm surprised they didn't get uh, the Raiders didn't get stabbed by their fans because <laughs> we know that happens in Oakland. Well, Derek Carr, poor Derek Carr. I mean, Derek Carr threw the ball away while scrambling on a fourth down conversion attempt because he legitimately forgot what down it was. I can't make this shit up. This is what he had to say after the game. Quote, We had no clue what we were doing, Carr said. Speaking for myself, I had no idea what I was getting into. You just hope that it's not like this forever. (laughs) That's that's correct. It's not going to be like that forever. Just another nine years of Gruden. Apparently some people on the team aren't willing to wait forever. 
Dominic Rogers Cromarty, veteran defensive back, retired a few weeks ago after one of their just overly embarrassing performances. Oh, yeah? Did he quit at halftime? I mean, well, that's what I was going to say. What is it with defensive backs quitting in the middle of the season? <laughs> and then there's been some shady reporting floated around out there that Jordy Nelson has kind of given some thought to retiring. And then another group of reporters claimed that a quote-unquote unnamed veteran player walked past him in the locker room after the game and was telling the players around him, man, I've got to get the fuck out of here. I mean, when you think about what's going on in Oakland right now from a football perspective, I feel like Peter Venkman from Ghostbusters said it best. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. A black hole isn't just the nickname for this team's end zone seats. It's where this entire season needs to be banished, Chris. Round up the tapes from the games, round up the uniform. Every ball that's been touched, every shred of paper and every whiteboard that the game plans have been produced on. You burn them all, you take the ashes and shovel them into a capsule and you find the nearest black hole and you just chuck this into it. Because, I mean, that's the only way to get the stink of this season off of that franchise. Man, does it suck to be those guys. And so with that, folks, we have to find a way to move forward (laughs) with the show, but there's no game to preview this week. It's a bye week. Chris, does this feel like the latest bye week we've had in a while? Uh, No, because I think we've actually honestly had a later bye week than normal, if not directly in the middle of the season. So this is not uh, abnormal to me. I mean, I just I look at it and I feel like we're here but there's no game to preview. And so we still, but there's still something here that I want to discuss before we get out of here. And that is the bye week topic I'd like to call the great hot dog debate of 2018. Now, Chris, I pride myself on my tailgating skills. I'm a fanatic, okay? I'm a guy who's constantly shopping for new gear. I'm the guy who busts everything out probably about three weeks before the season, during one of the preseason games. And I throw a, what is essentially a one-man tailgate in my yard just to, just to prove that everything works to, so that if anything needs maintenance, I can address it. If it needs to be replaced, to make, if there's room for improvement, maybe I'll see it if everything's laid out in my yard. I, I, I don't like to think of it as a sickness. I like to think of it as being highly proactive in terms of my love of tailgating. And anybody who's attended one of my tailgates knows that food, food isn't... Uh, Chris, if you walk away from one of my tailgates hungry, it's your fault. Yeah, because you didn't eat any of my dips. <laughs> Cold dips, hot dips, sausages, ribs, pulled pork burgers, and hot dogs. And hot dogs, okay? Salons only. Hot dogs, this is a widely contested, contested topic, Chris. Nothing has been argued as fiercely between our friends than this one. Is a hot dog a sandwich or not? It is not a sandwich. It you, absolutely is a sandwich. You are 100% wrong on you this. You are an idiot. Oh. It's actually started, the, the, the concept itself and the conversation has actually started fights between my wife and I that lasted so long, we didn't have time to cook dinner. We actually had to go out. Because it was too late to make anything. That's how just I, that's how passionate I am about my stance on the fact that a hot dog is a sandwich. Now, having said that, I mean I think that I have, I think I have, Chris. I've got some, 
ideas and I've got a basis for thinking what I think and my rebuttals and my arguments are pretty sound, at least in my opinion. But having said that, I don't know. All I've done is argued with rubes like you and Ryan Lasel from over at Rock Sports Network. <laughs> so what do I know? That's why I decided to go straight to the top to the highest authority in the land in order to try to have this conversation with somebody who might actually know what they're talking about. So with no further ado, I'd like to introduce tonight's guest, the Meet VP himself, Mr. Eric Mittenthal. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Thanks for coming. I mean, it seems this is the first time we've done an interview with somebody who doesn't work in sports, play sports, someone who works with meat. <laughs> but meat is integral to sports, especially hot dogs. So it's, it's an appropriate connection. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, we, we talk about it all the time. Tailgating is something that I pride myself on. I, I'm a fan of the Buffalo Bills. I've been a season ticket holder for a long time, and there's been a lot of seasons where tailgating has kind of become almost more important than what occurs in the field, and you can't have a good tailgate without me. So, so first and foremost, you hold the title. Now, you've got two titles. First of all, you are the president of the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, correct? Correct, the hot dog top dog. And what what does that job entail? And how, how how does one become the president of the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council? I mean, are you elected to it? And if you are, does your, most of your constituency come from Chicago? Uh, you are not elected, and our constituency comes from all over. So uh, I, my role came to be as uh, I, I also work for the North American Meat Institute, and we run the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, and so... I'm a guy who loves meat, who loves hot dogs. I know a lot about both, and I love to talk about them. And so my job became to be the one to talk about them. And so I lead our efforts and was named president a few years ago. And uh, it's it's a fun job. You know, when you get paid to talk about hot dogs all the time, you can't really complain too much. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, it, it, it beats the hell out of working with numbers and money all day. I'll tell you that. If I... <laughs> So I, I just a just a review of your Twitter feed for anybody out there who's interested at Meet VP. Go check it out. I, I mean, it was it's. I've been following him for about a year because I saw uh, he has some pretty funny takes. I mean, he had one of them that uh, ketchup shouldn't be put on hot dogs if you're over the age of eighteen. <laughs> that is correct, and that's part of our hot dog etiquette guide. So we have a whole guide to hot dog etiquette and. Uh, probably the most controversial one is that ketchup should not be put on a hot dog over the 18, age of 18. And that does go back to the Chicago hot dog tradition. And a lot of people in Chicago would argue that you should never put ketchup on a hot dog. And in the city of Chicago, you'd be banished from the city if you put ketchup on a hot dog. We give a little more leeway. We say once you hit adulthood, it's time to put the ketchup away. So a lot of people disagree with us on that, but we really feel like we're, we're making a good compromise there with the people who, who say never, ever. That's, you know what? That sounds reasonable. You seem like an even-keeled guy, Eric. Let, let, just for our listeners' sake, let's do a little Q&A here first just so we can kind of get to know you. And then, no pun intended, we're going to move on into the meat and potatoes of things here. So first of all, you Excellent. personally, are you a fan of football? I'm a huge football fan, yes. I've been an Atlanta Falcons season ticket holder for, ooh, I don't know, 30-plus uh, years at this point. Wow. My question would be, how do you like the new stadium? Love the new stadium. Uh, it's a beautiful place. 
the atmosphere has been neutered a bit. Uh, I, I have to say that there's just so much to do there that it takes the fans away from the actual game. So the enthusiasm in the crowd is not what it once was, and that's disappointing to me, but it's a beautiful stadium. So that's actually something we've heard before. When the Bills played there last season, there was a complaint that we listened to, because Chris listens to different radio stations to see what out-of-town cities say after they lose to the Bills. And one of the calls was from a caller complaining that there were so many people in the concourse when the game started that there was nobody down near the field. So the first couple third downs for the Falcons on offense, there was actually more noise coming from the Bills fans than from the offense or from the home fans. Yeah, that sounds about right in Atlanta. And, and Atlanta crowd has, has always been kind of a late arriving crowd. So that's, that, that's something that's not necessarily new, but but these days, even going into the really the entire game, I mean, you look around the seats and half the seats are empty because there are bars all over the stadium. So there's just a lot for people to do there. But it takes people away from the game. And so if you're a fan of uh, grilling and tailgating and football, I'm going to guess you're probably an adult, uh, an adult beverage fan. What is your favorite adult beverage if you had to pick one? Well, certainly beer. You know, you go beer and hot dogs uh, are kind of the ideal combination. In fact, one of our hot dog etiquette rules is that you should not be serving hot dogs with fancy wine. Hot dogs are really kind of a beer kind of food. So that, so that would make me a beer kind of guy for sure. Is there a style of beer that you prefer? No, you know, I, I, uh, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty adventurous. I'll go with a range, uh, whatever I'm feeling like on a particular day. So no, I'll, I'm pretty open to about anything. Fantastic. You're eclectic when it comes to that kind of thing. I like it. Now the meat the meat Q and A because this is this is just for my own purposes because I'm a I'm a carnivore <laughs> I I prefer meat to everything so first and foremost favorite grilled meat hot dogs of course okay hot dogs are the best grilled meat favorite style of hot dog I like <clears throat> I like mine natural casing uh, I I love the snap um, you know I I tend to go beef uh, hot dogs. But, but one of the unique things about hot dogs is that really depending on where you are in the country, there are different styles. And so uh, in the Northeast, it tends to be a little bit more beef hot dogs. Down South, it's a little bit more common to find pork, pork hot dogs. Uh, elsewhere in the country, it can vary. It can be mixtures. And so it's fun to try the local varieties. Uh, here in Washington, D.C., where I am now, we have the Half Smoke which is a pork and beef combination. It's natural casing. It's kind of more of a, of a sausage style. It's got a little extra spice to it, but uh, it's a delicious hot dog. So I really, I'd love to go with the regional varieties and, and try different things around the country. Chili fan or no? Oh, big chili fan. Yeah, if you're from the South, you got to love chili. <laughs> All right. So now, on to why we have you here. Recently, Oscar Mayer spoke out, agreeing with me that hot dogs are in fact a sandwich. And as, I, as I've mentioned in the past, this is a hotly contested issue between not just my, you know, not just my friends or people on social media. I mean, we, I put polls up and the, across all social media platforms that I put the polls up, I think we got fewer than 12% across the board who agreed with me. Because hot dogs are not a sandwich. <laughs> this is something we fight about. I mean, I was so excited when I saw the tweet from Oscar Mayer agreeing with me that I wanted to get champagne and spray it during one of our Periscope videos. And yet, everyone's still decrying me about this. I mean, <laughs> it's, we're friends with the long snapper from the team, from the Buffalo Bills, Reed Ferguson, who flat out said 
that he would st- – if I genuinely believed that a hot dog was a sandwich, he wasn't sure if he could still be friends with me. So at the risk of upsetting my friends, my family, and the rest of our listeners, let me allow me to build a case for why I think a hot dog is a sandwich. And then I, I want to hear your rebuttal. Let's for, hear it. For me personally – the definition of a the definition of a hot dog or excuse me a sandwich is meat between bread. A hot dog is a tube of meat between bread. Not only that, but as I have some pretty wild theories about things just across the board, I also have one about hot dogs. And I believe that this is a conspiracy that starts all the way up at the top with a group of people I like to call big hot dog. Okay? I think that there is a conspiracy being perpetrated by big hot dog These conglomerates know that tube steaks can't compete if they were placed on a menu next to a Monte Cristo or a Reuben or a Turkey Club. So they got together and made up their own category and convinced everyone that they didn't belong anywhere in the same consideration in order to move product. Now, (laughs) I know that sounds wild and outlandish. I want to hear your thoughts on this topic. Absolutely. Well, first of all, Oscar Mayer just rebutted your last point there because big hot dog Oscar Myers is big as hot dog gets uh, they're they're one of the biggest hot dog companies in in the world and I don't know if they sell the most hot dogs but if they don't sell the most they sell the second most hot dog so that right off the bat rebuts your uh, your big hot dog argument because the biggest hot dog company out there wrongly says that it's called a sandwich <laughs> uh, the, the, the simplest way that I like to rebut the the hot dog of the sandwich argument is this what do you call the product when it is, is on a bun? I would call it a hot dog. It's a hot dog. What do you call it when it's not on a bun? I believe that's called the hot dog. <laughs> that is correct. The bun is irrelevant. So that's, that's argument number one when it comes to why a hot dog is not a sandwich. Okay. The other point that I make when you want to get technical, people love to get technical with us. You know, it's, it's, it's meat sandwiched between bread and you know, hinge, no hinge, doesn't matter, all that stuff. So here, here's the technical argument. A sandwich is, is meat or other items sandwiched in between pieces of bread. So you have a top and a bottom, and it's very distinguished that it's sandwiched in the bread. A hot dog is not sandwiched. A hot dog sits on top of the bread with condiments on top of it. And so if you were to eat a hot dog in a way that would be sandwiched, which would basically be turned to the, to the side, all of those condiments on the hot dog would fall on the floor. And so a hot dog's not meant to be sandwiched. A hot dog is meant to be nestled in the bread. And once again, that makes it not a sandwich. Yeah, if you want to make it a sandwich, get two buns and put it in between two buns. Then you, that, can, that might oh, constitute oh, as a sandwich. Oh, okay, okay, it's not okay. a sandwich, all right? Okay, okay. What, this may seem like something of a Hail Mary here at this point because <laughs> the condiments on the floor... Actually, that, that's a visual I've never been presented with. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll level with you. Out of all the arguments I've had with my idiot friends, I've never been presented with the visual of it being turned sideways. But, but, what about an open-faced sandwich? Why is one piece of bread with meat and cheese on it or meat and whatever on it still referred to as an open-faced sandwich? That's what it's called, but it's not a sandwich. That's just a platter. <laughs> it's a platter. Well, damn it. Ah, 
Yeah, um, you got to come around. You're losing I your have, argument here. It's not. It's not a sandwich. I really thought I came to this thing loaded for bear, but you You're talking to the VP of meat. All right. I just I can't get my head around the fact that there's condiments on the floor if you turn it sideways. <laughs> oh, Eric, I I I don't want to agree with you. I d- deep down in my heart, I wait, are you sure Oscar Meyer is Oscar Meyer is actually big hot dog. They are absolutely a big hot dog. If you look at grocery stores, every single grocery store has Oscar Mayer hot dogs. They have the hot dog jingle. They're, they're a wonderful hot dog, a very popular hot dog, one of the biggest hot dog companies in the world. But they got this one wrong, I have to say. I, I feel bad disagreeing with our friends there, but, but no, they're, they're wrong. It disappoints me because I was, I was hoping, like I was picturing some like shady boardroom with Venetian blinds. Like almost like those meetings from the that show The X Files with the guy with the lit cigarette all the time who's always smoking. And just a bunch of guys having really shady conversations about convincing everyone that hot dogs were their own category. I don't know why, but I, I like the romance of that idea. Like a film noir kind well, of vibe. Hot, hot dogs are a fun food, so you know, we would never meet in a shady boardroom. We'd be out there having having a party out at a tailgate or, or <laughs> A baseball game or somewhere like that, you know. So it, it, it would never be that shady. <laughs> that's where big. That's how big meat gets down. That's how you guys handle things. That's right. That's right. We have fun. Well, this has been fun, Eric. And I guess now I just look. Now I kind of look like a dunce in front of all of our listeners. But that's fine. That's not any different from any other week. <laughs> oh, I hate admitting. I hate having to concede things. This this might be a first. Chris, how many times have I ever agreed with you on this podcast? Uh, never. You don't even agree with things that comes out of your own wife's mouth. <laughs> no. Eric, this is the thing my wife and I, we were talking about as we were introing you. Uh, my my wife and I once had it. We had this argument that degenerated into an argument about sandwiches that literally took so long to resolve that we had to go out for dinner because we realized it was too late to cook anything. <laughs> it made you hungry. <laughs> well, exactly. We were talking about hot dogs. It's going to make you hungry. Yeah. So do you guys have any events? I mean, I see all summer long you guys have these outreach events and these promotional things going on. What do you have going on in the foreseeable future for just just the National Hot Dog, Hot Dog and Sausage Council? Well, this for, for us in particular, this is a little bit of a quiet time of year because it, it's not necessarily hot dog season. Uh, sausage, it is sausage season right now. So National Sausage Month just wrapped up. It was October. And sausage sales actually peak over the holiday season. So lots of people are enjoying sausages throughout the holidays. Uh, no Thanksgiving is complete without mixing some sausage into your stuffing. So we aim to, uh, to promote sausage during this, this time of the year. And then we get ramped up again uh, towards the beginning of the year and looking forward to baseball season. Uh, it's a huge time for us. Uh, baseball is, is, and hot dogs go hand in hand. And so it's kind of, it's kind of quiet re- evaluating how wonderful the year was and promoting sausages for the holidays and then uh, getting right, right up into next year. All right. Well, then you know what you know what that means. That means come summertime, uh, come summertime, we're probably going to have to bring you back. We're probably going to have to ask you to come back, talk a little football, talk a little uh, grilling with us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hot dog company power rankings, <laughs> Salins number one, and uh, absolutely anytime. And, and I'll tell you what, you've won the you've won this battle, but I you still haven't won the war. <laughs> when we tailgate uh, in two weeks, we're going into our buy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring hot dogs, and I'm going to start referring to them as hot dog sandwiches, and I'm going to see how many people are willing to eat them if I refer to them as that. Well, if you're out there tailgating eating, eating hot dogs, then I think I've won the war. 
<laughs> In a way you have, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. Where tonight. can we find you on Twitter? I'm MeatVP on Twitter. Uh, we are also on Facebook. If you search National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, we have a very active and passionate Facebook fan base, and so I would encourage folks to check us out there. Hot-dog.org is our website, and really, if there's anything you want to know about hot dogs, including a very thorough rebuttal to the hot dog as sandwich argument, uh, we have it all on our page. Uh, anything you want to know, history, culture, what's in them, how they're made, it's all there on the page. So we are truly a, a full-service site for hot dog information. At MeatVP, M-E-A-T-V-P, Vice President of Meats, Hot Dog and Sausage Council. That was interesting of a conversation as we have ever had on this show. I don't know. I just, I feel like this this has to be what Rocky felt like the first time he fought Clubber Lang. (laughs) You prepared for this guy thinking when you watch a guy who's boxing and you're like, okay, whenever he dips his left shoulder, he's going to try to stick the right jab. And instead you get left hooked in the mouth. I don't know. Condiments on the floor. Just stunner. Just a stutter of a rebuttal that I was not prepared for. Yeah, condiments on the floor when you turn it sideways. With that being said, this isn't over, all right? It was great having him on, and I'm sure we're going to have him on again where we can either, Jesus, either I can save a little face or we can at least talk about the finer points of tailgating. What are we watching this week, Chris? There's no Bills game. I'm not going to watch football with you, obviously, you (laughs) asshole. Uh, I don't have cable. And I don't have the ticket, obviously, so I'm going to be watching whatever's local. And we get on CBS, Jaguars and Steelers. And then on Fox, early game, I think it's the Buccaneers and Giants that we get. And then, of course, late game, Philadelphia at New Orleans. It's going to be amazing. Guys, full disclosure, Steelers-Jaguars, okay? for what, if, you, if you don't have the Sunday ticket, and even if you do, Steelers-Jaguars is a must-watch for Bills fans. Why? Because it's scouting for next week. And it's a rematch of one of the most exciting divisional play around playoff games from last year that I think I think took place, Chris. True or false? Sure. Yeah, it was high scoring. So it was high scoring, there was turnovers, there was drama, it was great. This is gonna be the reiteration of that. And once again, Jalen Ramsey is gonna have to put his balls on the line for a, against a quarterback who he said was just average. This might be hysterical. Also, if you do have the Sunday ticket, Bengals-Ravens, there's a game that's worth watching. Why? On one, in one corner, you have the coach of a team whose defense has given up 500 yards in consecutive games. They had to fire their D, their D coordinator staff, yet they still think they have a shot at a wild card. On the other hand, you've got a bigger division rival who's having a terrible season, even though they did pummel the Buffalo Bills. And at the same time, their coach, John Harbaugh, is apparently on the hot seat. That's going to be a rough game, or at least an interesting game, to see how the teams respond. And then in the afternoon, Broncos Chargers, I mean, that, that's, a, that's, a conference, that's a division matchup that's always fun. I mean, I, I would I recommend you steer clear of Cardinals Raiders. Because God only knows what two terrible teams, when you put them together, can produce. Chris, you could get a shootout or you could just get a field goal festival that ends 
A la Cleveland and Buffalo, six to three. Roscoe <laughs> Parish fumbles. You end up with a game that actually sucks the love of football right out of you. And then those late games, that Eagles Saints game. I mean, that's that's going to be great. The primetime game Vikings Bears is going to be great. And Monday Night Football Chiefs Rams. Monday night's going to be friggin' amazing. I mean, you're talking about two of the two of the highest scoring offenses in football. Conference leaders, you know, just high, just oh my god, it's got everything. You it's could have, have everything. You could have the potential of Monday Night Football, Chiefs and Rams, being that of a Big Twelve college football game. 63-62 Chiefs. I mean, th- this weekend of football couldn't have come at a the bye week couldn't have come at a better time for the Buffalo Bills. It's going to be great. Hopefully everybody out there enjoys their football, and they come back next week as we host the uh, Down by the Bank podcast, who we had on before the wild card game last year. That's going to be interesting. <laughs> oh, how the mighty have fallen. There's going to be insults traded. There's going to be a lot of joking back and forth about just atrocious seasons. You're not going to want to miss it. So why don't you go ahead, take the weekend off, Watch a little bit of non-Bills-related football, and everybody just goose from. Take a deep breath. Just take it in. Enjoy all of the great football happening around you. Because next week, we start this all over again. Guys, we got to get out of here. Thanks for stopping by. Next week, we're going to have a big announcement, so make sure you come back. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pile Report.